Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. I'm Sasha Barbagat. Closed wards, a long list of medications, limited interactions with the outside world and, in some cases, restraints. I'm not talking about the living conditions of a prisoner. These are some of the treatments that are used on people living with dementia in Australia. It's a complex disease and right now we have around 450,000 Australians living with dementia and it can be different for everyone and there are about 150 different types of dementia which makes it even more complex. Given the disease affects roughly one in five people globally and is said to overtake heart disease as the leading cause of death in Australia, it's high time we ask whether the way we care for and treat people with dementia is due for a major shake-up. That chat coming up in today's Deep Dive, but first, Benzion Siebert is here with the headlines. It is Monday, February 19. G'day, Sasha. Anthony Albanese has spoken out about the death of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny. The Prime Minister is blaming Vladimir Putin. Australia is shocked and saddened by the news of Alexei Navalny's death. And we hold Vladimir Putin and the Russian regime responsible uh, for this death in prison. A spokesperson for Navalny confirmed over the weekend that he'd died in an Arctic penal colony, but the cause of his death hasn't been revealed. The outspoken critic of Putin has long been vocal in his support of democracy and human rights for Russia and represented one of the few who could have challenged the leader at the country's upcoming elections. In Russia, at least 400 people who've protested Navalny's death or laid flowers in his memory have been arrested, according to the rights group OVD Info. Foreign Minister Penny Wong in the meantime has told her department to call Russia's ambassador to outline the Australian government's serious concerns over his death, Sasha. Yeah, and Australia's not the only country that's had a strong response to this. Uh, Both ambassadors from the US and UK to Moscow have laid flowers in honour of Alexei Navalny at what's called the Solovetsky Stone, which is a monument to political repression. And that has become a major site of tributes for the 47-year-old in the wake of his death. And questions still remain as well over the whereabouts of his body. Uh, Allies are accusing the Russian authorities of hiding it. So it's just such an awful situation, Benzion. Absolutely. And Navalny's death is uh, raising hopes of uniting dissident opposition to Putin in Russia. Uh, But most of the other opposition figures are in exile overseas. There was, of course, Navalny's widow, the economist Yulia Navalny, who made this searing speech after learning about her husband's death. And she said that Putin and his cronies will pay for what they've done. And that, in turn, has prompted speculation that she may have a future in leading the anti-Putin movement. Around 40 suspected asylum seekers have been taken to Nauru after they were found in a remote part of Western Australia late last week. It's believed both groups arrived on the same boat. The men are believed to be from Pakistan, Bangladesh and India. And the arrival of the asylum seekers has what feels like inevitably led to this war of words between the PM and opposition leader Peter Dutton. So I think the Prime Minister here uh, needs to answer some serious questions. Minister O'Neill needs to stand up today to provide an explanation to the Australian public about what is going on and how this government has lost control 
of our borders. So Anthony Albanese has hit back at those comments. Peter Dutton is uh, someone who is showing with his overblown rhetoric and with his overreach on this issue, showing that he's not interested in outcomes or in the Australian national interest. As usual, he's just interested in politics. And we've heard from the Australian Border Force Commissioner, Michael Outram, who has been calling for unity. He says division among policymakers affects the way Australia's borders are perceived by people smugglers. Feels like we've already been through all this, Benzion. Absolutely. This is a revival of the very ugly political fight over asylum seekers that I think characterised the late 2010s in Australia. And of course, we've heard from the asylum Asylum Seeker Resource Centre, which is arguing and urging people realise that asylum seekers are people who are fleeing danger and hoping that they won't be demonised politically. But I feel like that's pretty optimistic at this stage. To a story that continues to make headlines now, and Sydney's asbestos problem continues. Two more schools have been found to have mulch contaminated with the material, bringing the number of sites to 34. Testing has been underway at spots across the Harbour City since January 10th, when asbestos was discovered at a newly built park near a major motorway. The Environment Protection Authority has been investigating and carrying out tests on mulch in schools and public places around the place, while also trying to work out how the contamination has occurred. An order has been made on one company to stop distributing its mulch after it was linked to the contamination, but it's defended its practices and plans to fight the order in court next month. And in today's afternoon episode of The Briefing, we'll be diving deeper into this story and how this all happened. So check back your feed at 3pm for the latest. And Taylor Swift has played her last show in Melbourne after delighting fans and breaking records with Sydney next in line to host her. So she opened the Down Under portion of her era's tour last Friday night to the biggest crowd she's ever played for, 96,000 people packing out the G. She'll get a few days off now, so keep an eye out for her around Melbourne and Sydney. She could pop up. We don't know where she's going or what time she's arriving places, but you never know. You might catch Tay-Tay wandering around the CBD of one of those cities. And her first of four shows kicks off on Friday. Now, I do want to make the point as well. We were just talking about the asbestos problem. Authorities have come out to assure Sydney siders that Taylor's shows at Olympic Park will go ahead uh, after the area was tested for asbestos and cleared because basically they're finding this mulch all over parks and outside hospitals and in schools and Sydney Olympic Mm. Park was earmarked for testing, but it's all come back clear. So that is not going to affect Taylor's shows here. I'm sure lots of people will be relieved to hear that. Now we've talked about this, Bencion. I'm not a Swifty. You're not a Swifty. Um, I don't mind her music, but I just don't think I've ever seen anything like this in Australia in my living memory. You know, people talk about when the Beatles came and all of that, and that's Mm. a very long time ago for most listeners. Uh, Mm -hmm. We might not have even (laughs) been alive. And this is just insane. I was with my parents over the weekend. They're kind of one of those couples that always have the news on in the background, whether it's TV or radio. And every bulletin, every update, there was a mention of Taylor. It is impossible to escape the juggernaut that is Taylor Swift in Australia right now. It's absolutely massive. I think I probably remember 
Beyonce coming to Australia when I was maybe in high school. Mm. And I just feel like maybe I might have missed the boat for Beyonce shows in my lifetime in Australia. But here's hoping um, because I may not be a Swifty, but I really, really like Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's just released that country album or she's coming out with a country album. So maybe yeah. maybe she's heading back here too. Hey, Bencion, thanks so much for joining us for the headlines today. Next up is our deep dive into dementia care in Australia and what needs to change. weeks back, I sat down for an interview with a filmmaker from the Netherlands who had spent three years in aged care homes right around the world on a mission to better understand how we care for people with dementia. The conversation really opened my eyes to how we as the human species have failed these people in a lot of ways. Closed wards, limited interactions with the outside world, a long list of medications, in some cases restraints. As someone who has had loved ones live with dementia, I always thought some of the more controlling methods of care were for the person's own safety. And I did look at it through the lens of a teenager. That could never happen to me. I'm invincible, etc., etc. But as I and my parents get older, I have found myself asking, would I want my mum and dad living that way if they were diagnosed with dementia? And would I want my life to look like that in 50 years' time? While talking to this filmmaker, my eyes were opened to the idea of a different way, a better way to care for these people, giving them agency over their mind and body, having them actively involved in the community, providing them a home with access to things everyone else has, candles, real plants, even pets. These methods are being used overseas and the results speak for themselves. Happier and better adjusted aged care residents who feel they are valued and part of society even if their mind works a little differently to how it used to. So are we doing these things in Australia or are over-medicating and closed wards the norm? And what will aged care for people with dementia look like when people our age find themselves needing extra help? To find out, I'm joined now by Marie McCabe, the CEO of Dementia Australia. Marie, thank you so much for joining us. To start off, could you paint a picture of what life is like for someone with dementia, not from a care perspective, but how they live and interact with the world? Sasha, one of the things about dementia is it is it's complex. It's a complex disease. And it right now we have around 450,000 Australians living with dementia and it can be different for everyone. And there are about 150 different types of dementia, which makes it even more complex. I mean, Alzheimer's disease is the most common form of dementia and the symptom for Alzheimer's disease is characteristically short-term memory loss. And for other people living with dementia, it might be a change in mood, a change in personality. But the thing that is consistent across all of the dementias is that there is always a loss of function. So things that the person used to be able to do, they're no longer able to do. So people's lives are impacted significantly as the disease progresses, and it will, it's the second leading cause of death in Australia after heart disease and the leading cause of death in women. So as the disease progresses, they will lose further function. They will lose the ability to do other things. And it may be where people are from a culturally and linguistically diverse background, they may forget how to speak English 
where they have once been very adept at doing that, they may revert to their language of origin. It may be that the environment becomes something that they are, um, even though they live in a familiar environment, they may have perceptual disturbances. So there are lots of things that happen in the world of somebody living with dementia that completely alter their experience of what used to be familiar. Yeah, as you've explained, it's far from a cookie-cutter disease. There, It can affect you in all sorts of different ways. But could you give us a current picture, I suppose, of the care that is provided to people living with dementia in Australia who have gone perhaps from being able to be at home and have the support of their family to needing additional assistance, say, in an aged care facility? What are the treatments being used? How are they looked after from an institutional perspective? There's a range of options for people living with dementia and there are some fabulous residential aged care homes and they can um, vary in the type of care that they provide. And I think it's really important to say that not everybody living with dementia wants to live with other people living with dementia. They may want to be in a general community environment and where that works, I think it's really important that people have the right to It's a human right to be able to choose where we live, the type of environment that we live in. And so, again, and focusing on the person's strengths, so what is it that they're still able to do? And, again, that will depend on the individual. So a person-centred approach is really important. And as I said, there are some really great providers that have beautiful environments for not only people living with dementia but people living in aged care and the food that people like to eat is really important. Being around people that they want to be around is really important, that it's an environment that encourages their loved ones and may have children um, in that environment as well visiting, which is really important. So it depends very much on the person and what sort of environment they need, the sorts of risk assessment that's been done to keep the person safe, but also to be able to allow the person to take some risks um, in perhaps a supervised and supported way. The reason I wanted to have this chat with you today is I did an interview with a man, a filmmaker from the Netherlands who followed, who lived in dementia wards around the world for three years with a, another young man who was 24. And they saw the entire spectrum of care for people living with dementia. So, you know, locked wards, um, plastic cutlery, very little autonomy, uh, to the very other end of the extreme homes where all of the residents pitched in and they created their own home. So that, And it wasn't just people with dementia, it was uh, people with other physical disabilities, just general elderly people, uh, people with cognitive disabilities, and they created their own home. They had candles, you know, there were no bans on candles. They had pets. They were allowed to walk outside pretty much of their own volition whenever they wanted. The filmmaker told me that the people who were given as much autonomy and respect to live as close to possible as they had before they became ill with dementia were the most well-adjusted. They felt happy. You know, are we in a position to offer those sort of things in Australia or does more need to be done to make sure that we can? There are many providers that provide exactly the sort of thing, Sasha, that you're referring to, which is amazing. People living with dementia are not an homogenous group. 
And as their disease progresses, and it will, it depends on the area of the brain that's been impacted as to the type of expression and behaviour that people may exhibit. And we need to have environments that are that accommodate all of that. And I think, you know, you mentioned about staffing. Part of the aged care reform is there's now 24-7 registered nurses in aged care homes, which is fabulous because people need that level of knowledge, that level of experience, and really important to have that because they often have other complex conditions as well, other physical conditions that need that expertise. And the thing that I want to say is that education of staff is absolutely paramount. And it's one of the things that Dementia Australia has been advocating for and lobbying for is mandatory education about dementia because we know that about 70% of people living in residential aged care have dementia. That is a large number of people in care that are living with dementia. So it's important that all staff working in care understand it, understand how to identify challenges that may arise, how they identify pain, which is a big one in aged care. People are often in pain and they can't express it. And so they may express it. So when somebody comes to move them, that might hurt. And if the person can't say that's hurting, what they'll do is, you know, they'll push the person away, not because they're being aggressive, but because to try and minimise the pain. So these are the things that are so important that we understand. And we need a range of options for people. This podcast uh, speaks to younger Australians, you know, in their 20s, 30s and 40s. So for a lot of people in that age bracket, either they haven't thought about it yet or they're starting to think about the fact that not only are their parents getting older, but they are also getting older and they will be needing care in the future. I know I, for one, have been, especially after my chat with that filmmaker. My question for you then as we wrap up is, what does the future look like for dementia care in Australia and what can we be doing now as younger people to not only future-proof the system for our parents and for ourselves, but also to maybe try and stave off the effects of dementia. There are all sorts of things that we can be doing that may help. Uh, Can you talk us through those and, yeah, give us a bit of hope maybe? Look, I think the future for dementia care is really exciting and I think the future for dementia treatment is exciting because um, we now have, there are some medications that have come on the market for people in the very early stages of Alzheimer's disease or mild cognitive impairment. Now, Sasha, what's required there is a systemic change. We need to be able to uh, diagnose people much earlier. Uh, So that's really important. So I think the treatment options and more uh, drug companies will come into the market now and the next generation of medications after the ones that have been released will be much more effective and that will continue. So I'm very excited about the treatment options for people living with dementia and also the care options. And with the aged care reform that has come in, it is so important. We are now paying people more and aged care is a specialty. Gerontics, geriatric care is a specialty and we need to recognise that it is so important. Education, that's the final piece that we now need to implement. We've got the registered nurses, the 200 minutes of care, other, you know, revised standards that will soon be in that focus specifically on dementia. And then in terms of risk reduction, I'll move to that. It is really important. So 
This can start at any age and it's never too early and it's never too late to implement eating well. We recommend the Mediterranean diet. Exercising our body and our brain is really important. We know that there are two things that increase brain volume. One is exercise and the other is education. So learn new things, do things with you, socialise. We don't think about socialising as learning new things, but we often learn new things when we're out having fun. (laughs) So have fun with the people you love, do the things that you love. Attending to any hearing loss is really important. People don't realise that hearing loss increases the risk of developing dementia. And that's something that's easily remedied. So please, if you notice hearing changes or you notice it in your parents, please encourage them to get their hearing checked. Now, the other thing that I want to say about hearing loss, about 60% of people who wear hearing aids, they're in the drawer. Get them out of the drawer. Put them on. (laughs) It's really important. Then, of course, there are other socialising is important, making sure that we uh, have got people to keep us engaged, social engagement. We want to avoid social isolation. That can lead to depression. That can lead to dementia. So these are the sorts of things that make a very big difference to reducing our risk of developing dementia. That was Marie McCabe, the CEO of Dementia Australia. And if you've been listening to this and have further questions about the disease or yourself or your parents, you can call the National Dementia Helpline. The number is 1800 100 500. That's all for the podcast today. Thanks so much for listening. You can check back in the Savo at three for our afternoon edition. And if you'd like to get in touch with us here at The Briefing, maybe you have an idea for an episode or you'd like to have your say on something we've covered, please do reach out. You can go to our Instagram page and send us a message. Simple as that, just search The Briefing on Instagram. Listener.